0: It's good to be with you again, even if it's only virtually. As we were gathered together on the last great day of the feast on October the 7th to review the details and the meaning of the second resurrection of all humanity, one of the most wonderful aspects of the plan of God. At the same time we were there, terrorists were in the act of carrying out the plan of Hamas. They were in the process of slaughtering hundreds of innocent men women and children and we were soon to find out that they had been planning this very carefully for more than three years what a stark contrast at the same time of a group of people thinking about God's plan and another group of people carrying out their plans of evil the plans of men you know it makes you wonder when you hear something like that that these plans are in the works for three years How much planning is going on right now as I speak where individuals or groups of people are actively drawing up the plans to do evil things? Maybe even not tomorrow or next week, but several years from now. You just never know what is going on in the minds of some people as they plan to do what they are going to do. Now, on the other hand, There are other people who are striving just as hard to work on plans to do good in this world, but we see a constant battle between good and evil, even in that way, of people who are planning to carry out things for whatever their aims and their purposes may be. It all depends on our goals. We humans are always planning. We are always planning. We're always thinking about, all of us, about how we can bring our goals to fruition. You know, as we watch prophesied events unfold in the world around us, have you ever considered that all of these things are going to come about as a result of people planning things? Many of them directly because of plans, many as a result of other plans. Many of them, many of these prophesied events before Christ returns are going to be the result of evil people coming up with evil plans. In Daniel 11, which is one of the best known end time prophecies, telling us about the king of the north and the king of the south and what is going to be happening toward the time of the end. Of the king of the north in Daniel 11 in verse 25, it says, or verse 24, he shall enter peaceably even into the richest places of the province. And he shall do what his fathers have not done, nor his forefathers. He shall disperse among them the plunder, spoil, and riches. Notice this. And he shall devise his plans against the strongholds, but only for a time. Going on, verse 25, he shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall be stirred up To battle with a very great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for they shall devise plans against him. So we have these forces coming into play, and the leaders are constantly making plans, bad plans, of how they can achieve what they want to achieve. And their purposes are at at odds with one another very greatly. Everyone devising plans. And in verse, 25, uh, 7, verse 27, it says, Both these kings' hearts shall be bent on evil, and they shall speak lies at the same table. And the whole world is going to be subjected to the consequences of these leaders and the plans that they are devising. You know, it's, it's amazing how much focus can be put in to people planning to do bad things planning to achieve their goals, even at the horrible expense of other people. And there's a lot of planning that goes on in the world, and life too, that it isn't evil per se, but it is not productive. It is misguided. It's ill-advised. It's foolish. But we do spend, all of us, a lot of time planning. I began thinking about this a couple of months ago in a way I never had before, not just about the specific plans of kings and governments or terrorists or individuals, whomever, but thinking about the plans of all people, about you and me, our plans, but most importantly about God. Have you ever considered how much time we spend in our lives making plans? And what that means, some of the consequences of that. Now, I doubt there's any accurate way that we could measure how much of each day, how much of our thinking goes into planning. But we do plan a lot every day, everyone, everywhere in the world. We're always making some kind of plans. We're making plans about what we're going to do today, tomorrow, the next day, And then of the things we plan to do, then we plan how we're going to do them. Do you need groceries? You're going to plan to go to the store. You're going to plan what you need to buy. You're going to plan when you're going to leave. You're going to plan which store you're going to go to. You may even plan the route that you need to take, maybe because you plan to do some other things as well. And your plans may change along the way. You may be going to one store and pass another one that says, oh, the avocados are cheaper there, and so you change your plans to, to drop in and, and uh, shop differently. Are you going to work? Undoubtedly. Virtually every day we, we de- develop some degree. We spend some time planning what we're going to do that day, how we're going to work, what our priority is going to be, how we are going to go about doing it. Last night... Probably a lot of us. You're probably a lot like me. Last night, I sat on the side of my bed, just taking into account everything I had to do this morning, how much time it would take, all in order so that I could plan when I needed to set my alarm to wake up. And now, you know, your being here right now is a result of many plans, starting from when you were going to wake up to what you were going to wear, uh When you're going to leave to come to services, what you're going to bring with you, what you're going to do afterwards, plans, plans, plans. How many of you have already started making plans for next year's feast? If we could have a show of hands, probably a lot would go up. Now, you may just be mulling over some possibilities. You may say, well, I haven't given any thought, but you will. Right now, you may say, well, it might be nice to go here or there. But when you settle on a place to go for next year's feast, then you will have to start a lot of planning. The budget, how much can you have to spend? Where are you going to stay? When are you going to leave? How long do you want to be gone? How are you going to get there? What are you going to do when you get there? Who do you want to see and link up with while you're there? Plans, plans, plans. We are always planning. And then we replan. How often have you ever had to say, Well, that didn't go according to plan, and then you end up changing your plans. It may be just tweaking it a little bit, it may be a major overhaul, or you may end up scrapping your plans. Some of those plans are almost inconsequential, others of them are life-changing. Planning what your career will be, planning who you are going to marry, what kind of person you are going to marry. Uh, planning how many children you want to have. Some of you are planning to be baptized. All of those are huge, life-changing developments. It is such a big part of our lives. Have you ever thought about the process of planning itself, though? the process? Why do we plan? How is it that we plan? Where does the ability to plan come from? And here's a big question, perhaps the biggest. Does our ability to plan, not our plans, but just the sheer ability to plan, does that tell us something? Does that point us to something that is critically important for all of humanity, but especially for us as God's people, to know about God himself? Does the ability to plan Tell us something to know about God Himself. I want to take you through a look at those questions today and where they lead us step by step in our understanding some things about God, about life, and some things that are very important to our own thinking. First, uh, let's spend a few moments considering how this works in our lives and where this understanding takes us. Plans begin with concepts, with ideas. We roll around some ideas in our heads, and then if we choose to take the next step and develop those ideas, we have to think about how. How will the idea come into being? How we can bring an idea into being, the steps and the details of how to make that happen, that is called planning. Planning is essential for bringing something into being. But it also helps us determine if the ideas that we have are realistic. We may have an idea, but when we actually get into planning the steps involved, we may realize, I can't do this. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I don't have the ability to implement this plan. And so sometimes our plans tell us to forget the idea. Let's go a little deeper, though. What is it that gives us the ability to plan? Well, simply put, <clears throat> it, it's the ability to think. It is the ability to think. And what gives us the ability to think? In the Life Open Truth Presents program that Mr. Capo uh, did a few weeks ago, it was titled Three Rational Proofs God Exists. He talked about the requirement for the creation to have a creator, for the design of the creation to require a designer, but then he introduced the third point by asking the question, he said, okay, even if everything came into existence without a creator and without a designer, the question that stumps evolutionists is, how did we get the ability to think How did that evolve into being? How did we have something move from being an organic, physical substance into having the ability to do something totally non-physical? The ability to think. It is one of the mysteries of science. Now, of course, to us, it is not a mystery. To us, the explanation Is obvious we were made in the image of God and he gave us an ability that he has we have been given this unseen intangible non-physical non-visible ability to think and so his point was that our ability to think required a thinker to create us in such a way to make that possible so we think. We come up with ideas. We plan them in our minds. We logically lay out the steps that we can take that will end up taking this non physical idea and turn it into the physical achievement that we want. The back door, or sorry, the back porch on my house came into being by ideas that were simply concepts in my head. A lot of different concepts and ideas. There was a need, but they were just ideas. Settling on one idea, finally, was able to made me able to put pen to paper and sketch it out, draw it out on a paper, in plans, and then those plans eventually came into existence through the work to create something based on the plan that had been drawn up. The innate ability to do that is because we were created with minds that mirror the mind of our thinking creator. But there's something else to add. All of our plans that we come up with come into being for a reason. There's always a purpose. Now imagine if I'm out there working on my porch one day And I walk in the house and I get cleaned up and I start putting on nice clothes. And Dee asks me, are you going somewhere? And I say, yeah, I'm planning to go out for a while. And she says, where are you going? I don't know. Well, what are you going for? I don't know. Well, uh, where are you going? Why are you going? I don't know. So there's no reason. No, you're just going. Yeah. When are you going? Sometime, I guess. So you planned to go, but you don't know where you're going. You don't know why you're going. You don't know when you're going. (laughs) That makes no sense. You don't do that. I don't do that. It just doesn't happen because plans are for a reason that drive the plan. It's to do something to achieve something but that planning is part of the creative process that is innately in us as humans that's the way it works in our lives we plan for purposes whatever they may be now that logically leads us to a very important question about god's life would god create an extraordinarily complex universe and everything in it, and not only a universe, but an incredibly complex and well-organized human life on a particular corner of that universe, and do all of that without a plan or a reason. Would he do that? When we look at what he has built, from the vastness of the great universe to the invisible subatomic realm that we have only relatively recently discovered, we see everything has design to it and everything works according to its design. Is it therefore in any way logical or conceivable or comprehensible to conclude that all of this exists without having been planned? Would he have done that? One can only conclude that God is not only a thinker but he is a planner that all the universe that our very existence is part of a plan but a plan for what when we look at God and we see all that he made and we see the details and the way it functions in harmony and the astounding depth of thought that was required to bring it all into being And if we ask him, where are you going with all of this, would we expect him to say, I don't know? Well, of course not. It would make no sense to think otherwise. So here's another question Can we, mere mortals, can we, in all of our tininess and all of our weakness compared to God, can we comprehend why we exist? and what this existence is all about. Can we know God's plan? Well, it was just a few weeks ago that we left behind us this year's last observances of God's annual cycle of festivals and holy days, and we're entering a roughly six-month stretch before that cycle begins anew in the next year. There is something really important that we need to have working in our minds all the time. Not just at the time of those observances, but all the time. Something that comes from the cumulative experience of keeping those festival seasons. Now, counting the Passover, we heard last year in those festivals and holy days, we heard in all the services, 17 sermonettes and 19 sermons. And we heard many more that were leading up to and preparing us for those occasions. And we do this every year. Every year we repeat the cycle. And one of the great overall lessons that we come away with from that whole package of messages and our own study added to it is that the answer to the question is yes, we can know. What the God of this universe has planned, what he is planning, and what it has to do with our lives. It is really important to take away and to have that in our heads all the time. Now on each of these holy days and festivals, we look at length at what each one of them pictures and represents. But let's think for a moment about all of them as a as a package. And let me illustrate something this way. You have any idea what these rolls of paper may be? Well, of course you don't. These are the architect's plans for building the office building for the headquarters of the church in McKinney, Texas, when it was built a few years ago. Now, I am not going to unfurl these. I do not want them scattering all over But I can tell you that the first few pages of this give us a huge overview of what that building would look like. Different angles, different views. But as you go further in, each page begins to cover specific aspects of that building. Various facets of the structure. Brethren, that's what the holy days and the festivals are like. When we complete the year we have in our hands, having kept those days, the the plans for what God is building. They all document the structure that God is building. And every turn of the page, everything you go into, each holy day we come to, as we turn to that page to cover that aspect of the building, it reveals more details or more aspects of his plan. But when you take it all together... They give us the overview of what each step looks like and then the specs of the details of every single part of that plan. Furthermore, as you unfurl the pages of God's plan, you see across His plan the footprint of humanity. You see the footprint of humanity. The plan of God is about us about human beings, God's human creation. We come to see all that we are. We come to see what our existence is all about and that we we see how it fits into the plan that God has. Now I want to turn to a section of Scripture today that tells us about God's thinking and God's planning. And it tells us something about God Himself. And it's very relevant for us today. It's an old story, but it's relevant for us. It's set in a time when Judah had been conquered by Babylon. Now, there were several waves of exiles taken from Judah, Judea, into Babylon. And this was written after the first group of exiles had been taken there. They did not seem to really comprehend and know it, but everything was unfolding according to plan. Now, God had always had a plan to bless His people if they would obey Him. But if they would not, He also had a plan of how to deal with that. Whatever course they would follow, He had a plan for how He would respond. And, furthermore, He had told them very clearly what His plan was. He was going to take away His blessings, and He would let them be subject to the conquering power's Around them. But as usual, they did not listen to him. He told them what the plan was, but they did not listen. And although God was very patient and merciful for hundreds of years, eventually he allowed them to be conquered, just as he had told them. Now, before we go to this specific section of scripture, let's look at what led up to it. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah 18, and early in this chapter we have the analogy that God gives of the potter to the clay, and he basically tells them, you know, what I plan to do when I speak with that plan, if you will change your ways, I'll change my plan. And it was a great message to them. In verse 11, we come to this summary part of that it says he told Jeremiah now therefore speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem saying thus says the Lord behold I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you I have a plan and it's not a good one for you return now everyone from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good God tells us the same thing today. We have been told what is going to come upon his his peoples if we continue doing what is evil. What was their reaction? In verse 12, they said, This is hopeless. So we will walk according to our own plans and we will everyone do the imagination of his evil heart. Does that sound familiar when we look at human nature? You know, God, you have your plans. This is hopeless. We're not going to do this. We're going to just live by our own plans. As you read verses 15 and 17, God told them through Jeremiah, the conquering and the scattering that would come upon them. And in typical human fashion, if you don't like the message, then attack the messenger. And so that led to other plans. Verse 18, Then they said, Come and let us devise plans against Jeremiah. For the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come and let us attack him with the tongue, and let us not give heed to any of his words. We have to come up with a plan so this Jeremiah doesn't affect people. We have to shut him down. We have to discredit him. So that's what we're going to have to come up with a plan to do. God was making his plans. They are foolishly making theirs to totally different ends and it would be a hard lesson for them to learn. Predictably, their plans failed and God's plan unfolded just as He said it would. So we come in the story to something that takes place in the early days of Judah's captivity. God had Jeremiah write a letter to them to tell them something about his plans. Now, in God's masterpiece, Plan. There are many small steps along the way. What we're going to see here in Jeremiah 29 was just one of the pages in God's big master plan. This page, this part of the plan was going to cover 70 years. Now for a human, 70 years is huge. Basically, it's everything. It's your life. But in the big view let's say 6,000 years, 70 years is relatively a small fraction. It's just over 1% of that time. Relatively insignificant length of time. But God was going to accomplish something very significant during that time. He even had a plan for that little space of time on the grand scale and afterwards. In Jeremiah 29 in verse, four, or verse 1 we read, Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. And beginning in verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away cap- from Jerusalem to Babylon, And basically, God tells them, you need to make some plans now. And here's how you need to plan your lives. He goes on to explain, beginning in verse 5, build houses, plant gardens, continue your families, marry, have kids, uh, increase, don't be diminished wherever you are. Uh, Verse 7, seek the peace of the place where I've called you to be captive and pray to God for this place for in its peace you will have peace and then he goes on in verse eight to tell them don't be deceived your worship your connection to me needs to be very careful uh... don't let false prophets come in don't let people tell you lies i have not sent these false prophets so he tells them this he says you need to make plans and you need to get on with your lives for this period of time. Conduct yourselves in certain ways. And then it's like God telling them, I've told you all, this, all that in order to tell you this, I have plans too. In verse 10, he says, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. Now, I don't know how some were accepting this letter when it was read to them. They might have said, well, this sounds good, but whoa, 70 years. Oh, that might have frustrated some. That's a long time. You might be thinking, okay, well, I guess my plans are going to be for my children and grandchildren. But then he says something very significant, very meaningful for them. It was specifically for them But the great principle behind this statement we're about to read holds great significance for us today and actually for the whole world. Verse 11 For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. The Hebrew word for thoughts here is translated variously as devices. Plans, purposes. The Amplified Bible version says, For I know the plans and thoughts I have for you, says the Lord, plans for peace and well-being, and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Now we're going to come back to this verse because it tells us something about God Himself. And not just for this period of time, but forever. Let's finish the story first. In verse 12, Then you will call upon me, and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. For I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. So what happened? Well, sure enough, after 70 years, the exiles returned from captivity and resettled back in Jerusalem, and that amazing story is told in Ezra and Nehemiah. But back to verse 11. God had his plans for that group of people at that time because it was important in his overall plan that in 70 years, after some time passed, that the Jews go back to Jerusalem. Their going back was a necessary step for other plans that he had. But this is more than just a story telling us what happened at that time. More importantly, this tells us something about God. This is an incredibly important principle. This verse, verse 11, is about the way God does things. It's about the way God does things. God is involved. God is doing something about life. God has his plans. In Mr. Meeker's first Life, Open Truth presents uh, program on why does God allow evil and suffering, he ended with the statement, people ask, why doesn't God do something about the evil and suffering in the world? And then he said, he is doing something. He is doing something, and he had explained that in the program. Mr. Meeker could not have said that. He could not have made that statement without knowing that God has plans. He know, he was able to make the statement only because we know the plan of God. Now, this is a really important scripture. It's, it's not a, a, a scripture hidden in the depths of the Bible that nobody has found. The religious world of Christianity, especially evangelical Christianity, uh, has picked up on this verse. <clears throat> uh, many people have actually marketed this verse <laughs> very well. Uh, you can go into Bible bookstores or online craft sites. and there's a lot of artwork. There, there are paintings and decals and notebooks and wall hangings, things that, that quote this verse. We checked into our house at the feast. And the first morning, I opened the cabinet to get some coffee, and the, there was a coffee mug that had Jeremiah twenty nine eleven on it. And uh, it, it, it's it's logical. People are attracted to it because it's a wonderful concept. It is encouraging, and it gives a glimmer of hope. And there's nothing wrong with people having it right there visible to them as a reminder necessarily. But I do wonder at times... How many people really pay attention to the story behind it, or know the context in which God was saying this, or know what God really has planned for the future? How many? Now, you know, for a good share of the people who quote this verse, it is just a feel good saying, and some have actually manipulated it and interpreted it incorrectly. I have heard religious people twist this scripture to fit the prosperity gospel doctrine preachers God has good things in store for you just send your money to this ministry and God will open the doors for good things to come back on you because God has good plans for you well that scripture cannot be manipulated you know on October 18th I was just scanning one of my news feeds and there was an article titled 17 misunderstood bible verses that will change everything you thought i thought well that's interesting i wonder what those 17 verses are that they have picked out this was one of them this was one of them and they wrote in that little blurb they wrote this did you know that the famous bible verse for i know the plans i have for you isn't actually about earthly riches but instead a message of hope and encouragement for the Israelites in exile. And they got it correct. But why did they say this is a misunderstood verse? Because a lot of people have misunderstood it. They've been told that this verse is about earthly riches. And that's where they have set their hopes. And when earthly riches are one's hope, the future that they're looking for is very short-term and very shallow, actually. What is verse 11 in its big picture talking about? When we know the truth about God's plan, and we consider the future and the hope that God is giving, and we do that by looking at the festivals and holy days, they show us that picture. They show us the plan. When that doctrine of the holy days and the Sabbath, is rejected and not taught, you cannot know the plan. You cannot know the plan. When you look at so many of the doctrines of modern Christianity, they cannot know what God really is saying here in verse 11, when their teachings and their doctrines and their understandings are misguided and mistaken and ill-informed. You just cannot know that. You know, I, I think most of us Understand the history of how heretical leaders took over in the early church days and they led to the abandoning and the changing of keeping God's holy days and festivals in the first few centuries after Christ established the church. Is it a coincidence that many false doctrines crept in alongside the changing of the holy days and the festivals? When you lose those things, you lose something else. It's not just that they stopped keeping the festivals. They lost the meaning. They lost what it's about and what they represented. And when that is lost, you open the door for all sorts of other ideas to come in. And God's clear plan then starts actually became very muddled and very confused. Scriptures become misinterpreted when you take them out of the context of God's plan. The kingdom of God became very muddled. Something so simple. Mr. Black, in his life, Open Truth presents on what is the kingdom of God. Very simple question. Talked about that. He explained how some teach, oh, the kingdom of God is the church on the earth right now. Or the kingdom of God is in your hearts. It's in the hearts of people. The kingdom of God is in some long-running battle, but eventually the good forces are going to overcome the evil and God's kingdom will then be established here on the earth. Mistaken thinking. If the kingdom of God then is already here, then it becomes logical to, to think, well, today is the only day of salvation. And when you die, your opportunity to confess Christ, to call on his name, to be saved, that opportunity is gone. That's another doctrine. But then you think, well, wait, you know, why does Christ have to return if his kingdom is already here? You have to come up with other theories, and now they have over time. And the common assumption is that, well, he comes back to judge, meaning to primarily to condemn. Well, if that's true, then the church's task today is to save as many people as possible now before Christ returns. You see, you start losing the plan, and you start... losing the concept of so many other truths of God and how they work. There's little understanding today about the millennial rule of Christ and how he offers the opportunity to all people to have what is their first chance for salvation. People today do not understand that God's plan is not about universal salvation, but it is about universal opportunity for salvation. Lost is the understanding that God's plan is for everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth and how that can happen. There are other of course related issues that become very muddled too. Death, heaven and hell, the immortal soul, resurrections, the judgment, everything has become muddy. And so much of it is tied into losing the structure, the skeleton of God's plan, the the bones of that plan which is revealed in His plan. On the other hand, you insert the knowledge of the meaning of trumpets, atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles, and the last great day, and it changes your entire understanding of the future of humanity. It makes sense, then, of how God has planned it, how He's going to work it all out. It fills in the holes of logic that false teachings uh, have created. It helps us to understand why God allows evil and suffering, especially when you combine with it the meaning of Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread and Pentecost. And we begin to see how he's going to end evil and suffering. You see the plan. You see the plan. Now, at the time that he was saying these words in verse 11, he was Admittedly, he was specifically addressing them in a letter on a much smaller scale to a much smaller group of people. But verse 11 shows us a fundamental principle about God, our Creator. And that is, He is a planner. And just as He has designed life, He did it according to a plan and a purpose. Now, put yourselves in the shoes of these people. If you had been there, If you'd been taken into captivity, if you'd been a survivor who made it through a devastating situation, being invaded, being conquered, being subjected to to death and starvation, your nation falling apart, seeing the fulfillment of what the prophets had warned because of having unrepented of sins, how comforting would it have been to you at that time to know That God was saying to you, hey, you're here, but I'm still with you. I've not turned my back on you. I have a plan for you and your children and your grandchildren. And here's how you need to plan your life accordingly. What would that have meant to you then? Well, we're not there in ancient Babylon. Where we are is here in modern Babylon. In a world that is in captivity spiritually, that is in blindness, that is spiritually sick. A world facing a devastating time ahead as society falls apart. And we're seeing the the fulfillment of the prophet's warnings that this is going to happen because of our unrepented of sins. Living in this world, how comforting is it to us to know the plan. To know that God is still with us. To know that God has not turned his back on humanity. To know that God has a plan for you and your children, your grandchildren, your loved ones, and not only them, but every single person who's ever lived and died. It is through God's holy days and festivals that we understand the larger view of how verses 11, 12, 13, and 14 are going to play out, not for modern Israel only, but for the whole world. Why is this so important? Why is this so important for us to keep in mind? Because, brethren, Satan is making his plans too. Satan the devil, as time comes to the end, is going to be making his plans. And we live in a world and in a time when his influence is going to be strengthening more than ever, infiltrating the minds of more and more people. We can read verse 11 and just reverse engineer it and apply it to the adversary. And we can read verse 11 and fit it to Satan by saying, we know the thoughts he has toward us, thoughts of evil and not of peace, to take away our future and our hope. This is important to us because we're going to have to stand unfazed against anything that Satan is going to throw against us in the future. That's why we need to keep impressed on our minds this really, really important lesson and principle about God. He has it all worked out. He has it all planned. And if he, the grand designer and creator and sustainer and life giver and law giver, has a plan, then that plan is going to work. It is going to work out. It has been working out and it's going to work out. We use the phrase, the plan of God, all the time. We use it so often. That if we're not careful, it can become commonplace and diminished in meaning. But we should truly stand in awe that we actually understand the plans that God has for life and for the world, for us, for you, for each one of us. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. For you, meaning the church, for you, meaning. An individual, put your name in here, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now this raises another question, a big question. What does all of that do for us today? What does that do for you, for us, in real life, today? We can say, well, God has his plans, and it's way out there somewhere. But no, what does that mean for us today? Let's take a quick look at a few things that knowing the plan does for us. First of all, knowing the plan gives us comfort. It gives us comfort. We read, undoubtedly, on the Feast of Trumpets, 1 Thessalonians 4, We read undoubtedly on the last great day, Ezekiel 37, both verses describing the resurrection of the saints at the last trump and the resurrection of all humanity later. It's part of God's plan. And Paul's comment in 1 Thessalonians 4 rings so true, where after describing that, he said, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. And he was talking about the context of death and understanding the plan of God is to resurrect his saints at Christ's return. We have all had loved ones die in this past year, and we will next year as well. How comforting is it at times of loss to know the plan of God? How comforting is it If you are the one facing death, facing unless God changes somehow the course of events, if you are facing that, to know the plan. But more than that, not just knowing you will have life again, but all people. How much comfort does it bring when you learn the plan and knowing that you would have the opportunity, again, to see loved ones, to see a world someday of peace, to see all of humanity coming to know the truth, the comfort of repentance and forgiveness, of really knowing God, of being reconciled to Him and to one another. All of these elements of God's plan bring, bring comfort. They bring a comfort to the mind. God's plan, to use an old phrase, it soothes the troubled soul. God's plan, the truth of it, soothes people. The things that bother so many people, the big questions that agonize so many people, that create heartache, the fear of the future, are smoothed out with the comfort that comes from knowing God's plan. Knowing the plan brings confidence and faith. The more you know about the plan of God, the more it makes sense. It's logical. It's reasonable. It's doable. It's common sense how things fit together. It is coherent. It flows from step to step, to one step to the other, beginning with Passover all the way through, the meaning of the last great day and the final judgment. And knowing the power of God, we can see the steps that he has given, and then we know his power, and we say, Yeah, you know, I can see him doing that. He can do this. There's only one being who can pull this off, and it's God. And the more confidence we gain about the plan, the more our faith increases. The more our faith increases. Faith has to do with the things we don't see yet, but we know are going to happen. What about those things that we don't know? You know, are are, are there details to the plan of God that we don't know yet? Well, of course there are. We could come up, you could take the Day of Trumpets and probably come up with just a ton of questions about the Day of Trumpets, things we don't know yet. You consider all the seals and the trumpets and the plagues and all the events that, that come into being. You can say, well, who are the two witnesses? When will they appear? How will we know? How will they come on the scene? Where will we be in the tribulation? Where are we going to be protected? How will we be protected? You know, what will be going on? What will we be doing? What about this? What about that? Our minds can just race with all kinds of questions. And some people spend an inordinate amount of time trying to figure those things out. We can come up with questions because we don't see everything in the plan. But, you know, think about this. Think about this. The only reason we can ask questions about these aspects, about these details, is because God has already shown us the, many of the elements of the plan already. It, if we didn't know about the plan, we wouldn't even have those questions. So we can ask the questions. We don't know everything about the plan, but we can ask the questions about them because God has given us the plan. There are things we don't understand yet, we wonder about, we have our questions for God, but knowing God has the plan, knowing he has the plan gives us confidence that if we don't know everything now, we will in time, we will in time. And what is important about that is that when questions turn into doubts, that's dangerous spiritually. But when you have confidence and faith, you can have questions, you can wonder about things, but you never doubt God because you are secure. You have faith. You have trust in Him. You have faith in His timing. And that is built by understanding more and more about the plan of God. Knowing the plan gives us power. It gives us power. Having confidence and faith that God has a plan is empowering. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And part of the power we have is understanding the plan. Part of that power comes from knowledge. The knowledge of the plan gives us the power to live. Power to live without fear. Without fear of what people think or fear of what people may do. Our fear of what life may throw at us temporarily. We have a power, even the greatest enemy of death, our greatest enemy. The plan of God gives us the power to face death even and to deal with it. Late in the spring of 2022, my father was in a nursing home. And he knew, we all knew, that he was facing his last few weeks and months And another man came into that nursing home. Now, this man was a religious person. He had a pastor who visited him regularly. But this man was consumed with the fear of dying. He would talk to Dad all the time about it. I would go to see Dad, and he would say, Boy, I had a long conversation with him today. And this man would say things like, John, we're both dying. We know we're dying. How can you be so calm about this? How can you be so calm? Aren't you scared to die? Dad would say, no, I'm not afraid. Why? Why aren't you afraid to die? It's a good question. Why can one have such power over fear, even the fear of our lives ending? How can we have that power over the mind? It's because he knew the plan, and he had faith in the plan, in the planner that set his mind at ease it gave him hope and dad was at a point of being able to say that hey i've run my race my life is nearly over i i've switched gears i'm not looking at anything in this life now i my mind is is looking to the next step my mind is focused on the next step that is a power in the mind and god has given us that spirit of power but that spirit of power has been given A lot of that power comes through the knowledge of what God is doing. Knowing the plan gives us hope and eagerness. Hope and eagerness. In Hebrews 9, 28, we read, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. How is it that we, that we have the eagerness to wait for him? Well, I think it's very simple. Knowing what the plan is all about is what creates the eagerness to know what is coming next. It creates a unique type of eagerness and excitement for life. I'm not talking about the excitement that goes along with your local team winning some big sports championship, such as what happened here recently. Oh, it was exciting when the Rangers won the World Series. I'm not talking about that kind of rah-rah excitement. I'm talking about something that's deeply, inwardly exciting. You know, if I can go back to my dad in the nursing home, I would go to see him every day after work. I would stop by, and I think it was every day he told me this. As he was nearing the end of life, I heard him say every day, well, what's wrong with having a good long nap? and waking up in the morning in a new world. That was the way he put it. He would say that continually. And it was very positive. But one day, a couple of weeks before he died, I walked in to see him on my way home. And he was sitting there in the chair, and he said, Clyde, I've been thinking. And there are still a lot of exciting things that are going to happen in the church and in the world. And, you know, before Christ returns and... And I'd really like to see what, what's going to take place. I don't think I'm ready to die just yet. And I laughed and I, I said, Dad, it doesn't work that way. And he laughed and, and he said, yeah, I know. But you know what? I enjoyed seeing him. After 60 years of knowing the plan and following God, I, was, it was, I just enjoyed seeing him being excited about wanting to see the next steps that were going to unfold because God has shown us what's going to unfold along the way. And it is exciting. And we should eagerly wait for Him. We eagerly do that because we know there's a plan and we know God has exciting things in mind. Now, having said that, let me say this to lead to the next point. Not everything we see prophetically that's going to happen in God's plan is the kind of excitement we want to be around to witness. There are going to be some very difficult things. Let me lead into the next point this way. Take the Feast of Trumpets. Trumpets describes the events that lead up to, surround, and immediately follow the return of Jesus Christ. Things that are going to be happening in the world if we did not know God's plan those things would be absolutely terrifying. In fact, prophecies tell us that people will indeed be terrified. Living in a world of fear, world leaders and forces will be making their plans and they won't be good. And they're going to be unleashing horrific things upon humanity. We looked earlier at Daniel 11, Early at the beginning of of this sermon, and read about the kings of the north and the south devising plans against each other. I did not read the latter part of verse 27, which says, Both these kings' hearts shall be bent on evil, and they shall speak lies at the same table, but it shall not prosper, for the end will still be at the appointed time. God is telling us, they're going to plan, but it's not going to work. What does that tell us? The fact that God has already written this down means that that's part of His plan. It's not their plans, it's His plan. He knows what they're going to do and He already has planned for it not to prosper. He has planned for the end to be at the appointed time. We don't know right now what that appointed time is. We just know that it exists and we know that God knows. We are living today already in a world that is uncertain, that it's unstable, that is unpredictable, it's volatile, and it's going to worsen as we near the end. But in the midst of living in that world, knowing the plan of God gives us security. Knowing the plan gives us security. Jesus said in John 14, 1, John 14, 1. <clears throat> Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. How does it feel to know that God is preparing a place for you in His Father's house? To me, that's security. That's part of the plan. He's been working on that part. We can read so many things in the plan of God. In Revelation 12, you read about Satan coming after the woman because he has his plans too. But we also read that God protects his people. We go on from there, and Revelation describes some of the very difficult times coming on at the end, but it also assures us that Christ will return with all of his saints and put a stop to the troubles devastating the world. We've probably all heard the statement, I looked at the end of the book, and we win. Let me stress again. We read these things, and we automatically tend to look at what it is telling us. We look at the events. We look at what is going to happen. But there's something else to consider. There's something else to consider. The fact that what will happen in the future has already been described. What is going to happen has already been described to us, and that is telling us that the very existence of these scriptures that we can read, telling us what is going to happen, tells us that God has it all planned out. He knows how it's going to unfold. He could not tell us what will happen without having already considered it and thought about all the steps involved, and he's telling us what they are. All prophecy stands as a testimony that God has it all planned. God has it planned out. All prophecies give us knowledge, but the knowledge gives us security, knowing that God has it planned. Everything is under control. That allows us to put our lives in the context of God's plan. We live in His plan, not in the plans of other people, not even in our own plans. And the only real security we have is that of God's. Proverbs 19:21 says, "There are many plans in a man's heart; nevertheless, the Lord's counsel that will stand." Psalm 33:11, "The counsel of the Lord stands forever; the plans of his heart to all generations." Brethren, that's security. And finally, God's plan. Gives us our plan. God's plan gives us our plan. What is your plan going forward? Knowing what we've heard, having the amazing understanding that we're in the image of God and can make our own plans, wouldn't it be wise to find out what God is planning and then align our plans with His plans? God has His plans for us. We've been stressing that throughout. But now the question is what are our plans for Him? I can't answer that for anyone here, but I can say that we can't fit into God's plan unless we plan to integrate our lives into His way of life. And when we align our plans with His plans, when we plan to live the way that He planned for humanity to live, it changes everything. It changes everything in our lives. To that, to that end, let me speak for a moment to our young people in particular, to our teenagers and young adults. I know in the world around you, in your age group around, we see articles all the time that a lot of young people are very discouraged. Depression rates are going up. Uh, it's growing in the world around you. We have had so many negative things just sucking the air out of the room over the last few years. COVID, the isolation of, lock, of the lockdown. You know, now the, the conflicts that have broken out in Ukraine and, and Israel. And the resulting turmoil and tension, being on edge, these, you hear things about Russia and China and uh, even uh, you know the, the social and moral upheaval and confusion and the economy. I mean, there's just, just so much going on that can lead to a lot of stress, and you wonder. It's easy to wonder, what's going on with my life? Let me encourage you, hearken back to what God told Judah through Jeremiah. Build your houses. Build your families. Pray to God. Don't be fooled by the false ideas that are floating around there. In other words, plan your life. Get your education. Get your career. Hope and plan for a family. But put God in the middle of everything. Put God in the middle of everything. Always asking Him for guidance and blessing and then ask Him to help build your faith so that you can develop your own base of faith and trust and confidence in Him that He will unfold the plans that He has for the world, for His people, and for you, and for you personally. He will take care of you. He will guide you if you commit your plans to His plan. God knows the plans He has for us. That should inspire us. That should inspire us to use the mind and the spirit he has given to us so he can know the plans that we have for him. The plans we have for him. The plans of how we're going to deepen our spiritual lives. Deepen our relationship with him and with one another. We could probably add many other points to that as well. But those are six or seven points of what knowing the plan does. You know, brethren... As I said at the beginning, everyone around the world, every human being is constantly using the mind that God gave us to make plans. But most people's plans do not include God. They are not set on God, and they're set on their own things. And if we knew the plans that many other people, especially Satan the devil, were devising right now, we would probably be horrified. But we don't have to be. We know something entirely different. We know the plans that God has for us. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And knowing God's plan is what gives us comfort, confidence and faith, power, hope and eagerness, a sense of security, and the ability to make our plans around His plan. Let's close with Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah 46 verses 9 through 11, where God tells us this. Very simply. He says, remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, And I will do all my pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, and I will also do it.